Good morning. Good morning. All right, that's a good sign. If you'd like to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And uh, what my hope is this morning and uh, Lord willing next Sunday is to see the Lord. To see him uh, a little bit more clearly. Uh, to learn something about him or maybe to be reminded about why we love him so much. Uh, and it's very appropriate in order to do that that we go to the scriptures. The scriptures are meant to put him before us. We, we are invited to look at him. To look at him through the word by faith. And, you know, brothers and sisters, one day we are going to see him. We're actually going to lay our eyes upon him and uh, we're going to see his glory. It's kind of a neat thought to recognize that right now the Lord is sitting at the right hand of God and his desire even right now is that we should be with him. As he sits there at the right hand of God, his desire is that we should be with him and that we should see his glory. That's what, he, that's what, what is in his heart. <laughs> he wants us to be with him and he wants us to see his glory. And the moment is going to come when that takes place, when we will be with him and we will see his glory. And the view of him that we will take in for the first time is going to be eh, going to be really, <laughs> really wonderful. When we see him, no matter where our faith was here while we were on the earth, no matter how closely we walked with him, no matter how well we knew him, in that moment when we see him, uh, <laughs> there's not a one of us that isn't going to be wonderfully, delightfully captivated by him. And he will be more lovely and more delightful than we could have ever imagined him to be. And so any time that we can, can see him a little bit more clearly now, that's an invitation that we want to we want to accept that <laughs> we want to be able to see him although now it's by faith we want to see him we want to see him and so i hope that this morning and then next week that you'll look at him with me and we will see the loveliness of his person together and uh we're looking at this scene here in luke chapter 13 where jesus is in a synagogue and it's in this scene that we're going to start to get a glimpse of the Lord and the wonder of his person. Verse 10 says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. 18 years this woman had been in this circumstance. She she was hunched over. Uh, it was a couple weeks ago. I was driving down a city road, and uh, there was a man out there begging for money, and uh, he was hunched over, and his head was to the side. He couldn't, he couldn't set his head straight, and he had a cup in his hand, and he was bent way over. And the thought occurred to me of just the struggles, uh, the difficulties of such a life, to live that way for so long. And so here was this woman. She was bent over. She couldn't straighten herself up, and she'd been that way for a long time. And we're going to want to take a few things with us as we move through this story, a couple of phrases we're going to want to hang on to. And some of you I know, you know the story so well. You know what's going to happen here. But for those of us 
perhaps who don't know this story and what's going to happen, let me point out a few things as we go along here. We read there that this illness, this inability to straighten herself up, it says in verse 11, it was a spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity. So we're going to want to hang on to that phrase. And what's so interesting is that the person who wrote this is Luke. The person who wrote this is Luke. And Luke is a doctor. So to hear a doctor speak about an illness this way, it's very curious. Something to be attentive to. That the doctor says that this woman had a spirit of infirmity. In verse 12, the heart of the Savior comes out in so many different ways here as we begin verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, right away, we could just pause right there and just acknowledge the, the compassion of the Lord to observe her. He saw her. That's a wonderful thing about our God is that he takes notice of people. He really sees people. He sees you, right? He sees you. our Lord, <laughs> and, and the compassion and tenderness of his heart towards this woman. He's the God of the individual, isn't he? He's very concerned about each and every person, and we see that here coming out towards this woman, but it doesn't even stop there, does it? It goes one more step. <laughs> woman, he says to her, you are loosed from your infirmity, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So he saw her, he called her to him, he spoke to her, but then he, he delivered her, he, he healed her. And that was a day she would never forget, right? That was a day she would never forget. And there she is in the midst of the people, she's glorifying God as she has experienced the kindness of God through the hand of the Savior. There's another phrase we want to hang on to there. Look at how the Lord speaks. What does he say to her? The, f the, the, the words that he uses, they're very purposeful. He says, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Woman, you are loosed. Why does he say it that way? Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. This might give a hint of a reminder to what's going to happen here. Some of you might know this story. If I tell you that Perhaps it could have been said this way or translated this way. Woman, you are unbound. 
from your infirmity. Or, even more of a hint, woman, <laughs> you are untied. Woman, you are untied from your infirmity. We're going to want to hang on to that as we go on. The way the Lord spoke, the words that he cho chose to use. Well, this is a glorious scene. I mean, it's a wonderful scene. The glory of God has been manifested there, and this woman's life has been changed, gloriously changed, and God is being glorified. And this, this joyous scene is about to turn dark. The next word in verse 14 is the word but. You have this wonderful scene, and then all of a sudden, but it's about to change, at least temporarily. And there's those times in scriptures where you have uh, these scenes where they're, they're bad scenes. They're like grievous scenes. They're dark scenes. And then the word but comes in, and it introduces another idea. Something happens to change the scene, and now it's a wonderful scene. It's a bright scene. It's a glorious scene. Actually, we had one earlier. We have this woman who's a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She's bent over and can no way raise herself up. And what do we see in verse 12? But. <laughs> and so this kind of sad scene, as we think about this woman, it changes into something wonderful as it transitions with this word, but when Jesus saw her. But now we're back to go the other way. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Hmm. All of a sudden, there's opposition. All of a sudden, there's a cloud that just kind of comes into that room, and it's dark now. Instead of it being a joyous scene, a glorious scene, you have someone that's, imagine, standing up and speaking and accusing the Lord of doing something wrong. That This is not something to be rejoicing in. This is not something to be glorifying God in. This is someone who is doing what is wrong, breaking the law. So the whole scene becomes dark for a moment. And it's hard to believe that there are people who will take issue with the Lord. They will take their stand against him. They will make themselves an enemy of the Lord. They will be so certain they can accuse him, justly so, of doing something wrong. You know, there's people in the world like that today. We know people, right? I know people. And they would rise up and they would point their finger at the Lord and they would say, he has done what is wrong. He has done what is wrong. Let me state my case. Let me give you the details and you will come to the same conclusion as I am that he has done what is wrong. Hmm. And like this ruler, um, so many today, it's not sufficient that they've got some issue against the Lord, that they interpret the circumstances, they come to their conclusions, and they've got something against him. And it's not sufficient enough for them to just keep that in their heart and in the privacy of their own thoughts. No, they open their mouth up and they want to influence others. They are taking their stand against the Lord. They are finding fault with him. They vocalize it. They are looking to influence others to join with them. And there are actually more there. In that synagogue on that day, there were more than just this ruler. There were adversaries, plural. We're going to see that word in a second here. There were adversaries in the plural. 
the ruler of the synagogue was the one that opened his mouth and spoke, but there were others, they were thinking the same way as him. They had the same heart, and they were, they were resisting the Lord. They were taking their stand against the Lord and accusing him of doing what is wrong. And people like that have always been around, haven't they? I feel like they have some just cause to be angry with God. They've interpreted the circumstances. They've gathered up all the details, taken inventory, and this is their conclusion. The Lord has done wrong. And hey, let me tell you about it so that you will join with me and we can stand against him together. Hmm. I've wondered a little imagination here. I, the Lord is about to speak. The next verse, the Lord is about to speak. And that's going to change everything. But before we get to the Lord speaking, would you imagine with me for a moment, I don't know how much time passed between verse 14 and verse 15, between the ruler speaking and the Lord speaking. I don't know how much time passed. But let's just imagine for a moment that there was a little bit of time, maybe, you know, seconds, maybe a minute. And I've, I've imagined what some of those in the synagogue Maybe that's where the adversaries came from, actually. I've wondered what those in the synagogue thought about what this ruler said. As this ruler got up and stood against the Lord and accused him of wrong, I wonder if there were those in the synagogue who thought to themselves, well, this is the ruler of the synagogue. He definitely knows more than I do. I mean, I've always looked up to him to my whole life. The whole community looks up to him. He's the ruler of the synagogue. Maybe he's got a point. Maybe this man, Jesus, should not be doing this on the Sabbath. And you wonder, maybe because of the authority of the man, maybe he was a charismatic man, because of the respect that the community had for him, perhaps there were those who were inclined to think the same way as him. Sometimes that happens today. There are people who will take their stand against the Lord. They will accuse him of doing wrong, and they have authority, and they have charisma. They have respect in the world, and so they, they stand up, and they want to accuse God of doing wrong, and they want you to join with them, right? But then the Lord speaks. <laughs> this, you know, when, when the Lord speaks... Wonderful things happen, you know, like, like things like uh, creation, you know. <laughs> the Lord speaks and, and uh, someone's child is healed even from a distance. The Lord speaks and uh, in the battle of Armageddon and all the armies that have gathered together to fight against him, they're all slain with the sword which comes out of his mouth. He spoke with authority and astonished people. I mean, when he opened up his mouth and taught, it was... These wonderful things that just came forth from him when he spoke. And he's going to speak here. He's going to speak here, and if you will, the whole synagogue. Can you imagine it with me? It, it seemed like it was such a joyous time when this woman was healed, but then this ruler got up, he said what he had to say, and it was like a cloud came into that place, and it was dark again. And the Lord is going to speak, and it's like light. Just imagine with me. It's just like light is going to flood into that building. <laughs> and it's just going to permeate every corner of that building when the Lord speaks. There's a great um, phrase 
in Psalm 119 that says this. The entrance of your words gives life. Think about that. This is just what's going to happen here in this scene. It's such a dark scene now, but the Lord is going to speak in the entrance of his words. It's going to give light, and, and everyone is going to see clearly. The light is going to break in on this place, and everybody's going to see clearly. Even his enemies, they're going to see very clearly. Look what it says in the next verse. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite. There's a great, great way to start. Hypocrites. It's like you, you are like those who get up on a stage and act and pretend. You're not real. You're, you're not being true. You're hypocrites. Now, I'm not saying actors are hypocrites, but that's just where the word comes from. <laughs> They're acting. They're not being real. They're not being true. And they have their own agenda, their own purpose. And so he calls them this. And he says, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? You can see where maybe he's going here. Maybe this ruler of the synagogue sees where he's going here. He's starting to have that sense of foreboding that he's in trouble <laughs> because he can see where it's going. And I like to think that maybe the ruler of that synagogue that day, earlier that day, and maybe all the adversaries that were there in that room, that all of them had done that very thing that day. They had loosed, they had untied their donkey, their ox, on the Sabbath, and led it away to water it. Hmm. So he had their attention, and he was about to just, I was talking to some kids about this who was a kid who's probably like uh, 12 years old, and when we got done with this scene, he said, I just wish I could have seen their faces. I wish I could have seen their faces when, when Jesus said this. Because look what he says next. So ought not this woman. See, now we're not talking about animals. We're not talking about an ox. We're not talking about a donkey. You are of much more value than many sparrows. We're not talking about an animal now. It just, you know, for people who love animals, love them, okay? Love them. <laughs> God loved them, and he had things in his law that required people to treat their animals with kindness. So there is definitely a place for that. But a human, a woman, much more valuable. Not just a woman. Look what he says next, being a daughter of Abraham. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham. What does that mean? In so many words, he's telling them, this is family. Are you all the sons of Abraham? This is the daughter of Abraham. She's your sister. She's family. Whom Satan has bound. Oh. Whom, th this is what's wrong with her. This brings us back, doesn't it? This spirit of infirmity that Dr. Luke said she had. And the choice of words that Jesus used, he says, woman, you are loosed. Woman, you are untied. Why? She was bound up. She was tied up by Satan. This is not some conspiracy theory. This is not some kind of exaggeration. This is the Lord Jesus himself saying, this woman was being directly oppressed by Satan. And that's why she was hunched over and could not raise herself up. 
And he says, think of it. She's been bound by Satan, think of it, for 18 years. Should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed, be untied from this bond on the Sabbath. I mean, can you just picture the light that came in there? It, it was clear to everybody that the ruler of the synagogue and anyone else who was thinking the same way was an absolute fool. The, when the Lord called them hypocrites, he was right. And light came in as he spoke, and everybody saw clearly the foolishness of such a statement that that ruler made. Because the Lord said, listen, you'll take your ox, you'll take your donkey, you'll untie it, you'll lead it to water, but I can't untie this woman. I can't untie this woman. She's been bound up by Satan for 18 years, and you won't let me loose her on the Sabbath? Hypocrites. And look what verse 17 says. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Back to a glorious scene. <laughs> you know, it's all going to end in glory. You know, no matter what darkness comes in for a time, the end is glory, okay? The end is glory. And that's what we see here in this little story. The end is glory. Darkness came in. Opposition and resistance and rebellion came in. Pride came in and darkened the place, but the Lord spoke, and in the end, it was for the glory of God. Wonderful way to end this story. And his enemies, his adversaries, they were humiliated. They were absolutely humiliated. This is the end for anyone who will contend against the Lord. Anyone who sets themselves against him will be humiliated. We've brought to shame. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. Isaiah 45, 24. And all shall be ashamed who are incensed, who are angry with him, with God. The position cannot be maintained. You can't sustain. You, you can't even initiate. <laughs> but even in your mind, if, if there's someone who thinks that they can sustain a case against the Lord, that they've got him, they've, he has done what is wrong, listen to me make my case, join with me, and let us take our stand against him because he has done what is wrong. That position cannot be maintained. In our scene here, it wasn't maintained for more than a minute, no doubt. There was this arrogance, there was this resistance, there was this making one making himself an enemy of the Lord. And maybe for a moment there was the spotlight, but very quickly that one was brought down. Along with all those adversaries there, they were brought down in embarrassment and humiliation. And that is the end for everyone who will take their stand against the Lord. Next week we might talk about the possibility that even a Christian could do this. If you do this, somehow anyone here even thinks that you have something against the Lord 
you've got a grudge against him, and you're sure that you've got a good case against him, eventually you will be brought to shame over it. The Lord will speak, light will come in clearly. How foolish you were to take a stand against this wonderful person, this beautiful, compassionate man who, as we remembered this morning, was willing to even lay down his life for us. And yet somehow some people think that they can hold something against him and be justified about it. Eventually that humiliation will come, whether in this life or the next life. Everyone will be brought low and every knee will bow. There's no way any position against the Lord can be maintained. There's this wonderful phrase in the book of Romans chapter 2. It talks about a coming day. It says there's a day coming when it will be the revelation. That's the uncovering of something. The revealing of something. If something's covered, you don't see it very clearly, maybe not at all. You're told what's behind the covering, and you kind of have to believe that that is true. But the day is coming when, and I'll tell you what it is in a moment here, but, oh, and it will be clearly seen by everybody. What now has to be understood by faith, one day it will clearly be seen by all. And what is that? The righteous judgment of God. Right now, that's covered to a certain extent, and it is not clearly known and understood by the world, and sometimes not even by Christians, that the Lord always does what is right. He is always good. He is always kind and compassionate. Yes, he is righteous, just, but he is good. And in every instance... Every judgment he has ever made or ever will make, it is perfect and pure. And so even when the Lord comes in the day of Armageddon, it's all characterized by white, white and light. It is perfect and righteous and beautiful, even in its severity and its intensity. And the day is coming when the cover will come off and everyone will know, everyone will see clearly. You know what? He never did anything wrong. <laughs> he never did. He was perfect in every way. And if I took my stand against him on any count, and it is only there that I come to find out that I am wrong, <laughs> and it's just better to find out now and take the place of humiliation now and, and just acknowledge that the Lord is good. And maybe people who are going to stand up and accuse him, and they may be able to make a good case against him, but they do not speak accurately about him, and we cannot join them. We cannot join them as they blaspheme God, and they speak evil against God, and they slander his character. We do not join them. We do not believe them. They do not speak about him what is true, and one day they will know it. Peter says, you know these things before, and there are people who are twisting the scriptures. They're twisting the scriptures, and they're false teaching, and they are looking to lead people astray, to join them in rebellion against God, and their thoughts against him. He says, you know this beforehand, so since you know it beforehand, beware. Beware, since you know this beforehand, beware that there will be people like this, just like this ruler. Beware. 
lest you fall with the error of the wicked. Now, that the believer is the wicked, but the believer, the potential is they're standing. But someone comes along, and because they're simple in their faith, perhaps more simple than they should be, someone comes along and leads them away from that steadfastness, and off they go into the error that the wicked go into. And Peter says, you know these things beforehand, beware lest it happens to you. And all this time, God is at work. All this time, rebellion, resistance, people rising up against him, he's at work, expressing his heart, his compassion towards individuals, and in particular, that work to deliver. He's at work every in people, in the midst of people that would contend with him. He is at work. And maybe we'll pick up on that next week. I want to finish with one verse, and it's in Psalm 119. We'll finish with this verse. And actually, it's not even a whole verse. It's a half a verse. So for those of you ready to go, I'm not even going to read a, half, a whole verse. <laughs> a half a verse, and it's just a great verse to just commit to memory this morning. If there's anything that's just going to stick with you this morning of all that you've heard so far, if there's only one thing, let it be this. This does well to summarize what we've been thinking about. Because we are the people of God, and we need to know our God, and to know that his heart, the loveliness of everything that he does, it's perfect. So look what uh, the psalmist says in verse 68, just the first six words, and this is what I'll finish up with. And please, like, even you... Those of you that are kids here, this is a very easy verse to remember, a very easy phrase. You can do this. Very easy. Just log it away, program it into your thinking, and don't let anyone move you away from this truth. You, speaking of God, you are good and do good. Right, that's easy enough. You can memorize that. You are good and do good. No matter what the circumstances are, be nice if there was someone in that synagogue that day when that ruler stood up and they thought to themselves, no, he is good and he does good. <laughs> and that would have that just helped them to interpret things and to just wait, wait, because sometimes you have to wait to see. You wait for the light, you wait for the word, and then it comes and everyone else sees what you saw by faith from the very beginning, that he is good and that he does good. And it's not just that he's good in his character, in his person. Really, it's just like he can't even help but be good because that's what he is. God is good. But it's not just that he is good, but that he does good. He is constantly manifesting his character his loveliness of his person, he's, he's expressing that and putting it on display every day. Things like what we read about in the synagogue are happening every day all over the world. And in your life, even in my life, God is good and he does good. 
And we need to know that. We are the people of God. We need to know that. We cannot be moved away from that. We cannot be persuaded by someone who's going to take their stand against the Lord. No. We have to be sure of who our God is. And maybe even have an opportunity to speak for him when others rise up against him. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we would be reminded as your people this morning that you are good. And as we see the Savior in that scene there, we see the beauty of his heart come out and be on display for everybody. Nevertheless, somebody stood up. Actually, there were multiple people in their hearts that were his adversaries. And maybe it sounded convincing to some of the ears that were in that room that your son had done something wrong. But he never does anything wrong. <laughs> he is only good, and he's only good all the time. And he's always manifesting that goodness in acts of compassion and kindness, like he did with that woman on that day. And we just pray, dear God, that we as your people would know you. There are so many people around us that don't know you. And they would speak ill of you and slander your character. May we not be moved away from our own steadfastness. May we. May we know our God and be convinced of your person and say to them, if that's what you must think about him, and if that's where you're going to go, then I guess that's where you must go, but I will not go with you. I will stand right here, and I will know that my God, he is a compassionate God, and he is a good God, and he's a merciful God, and you do not speak accurately about him. Oh, may we, may we just be reestablished in knowing you, and may we know you all the more intimately, uh, more deeply, so that we might make you known to a world that desperately does not know you and does not know your son. We just ask for your help, and even for your namesake, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen.